Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Carbonite. Carbonite online backup is automatic and unlimited backup for your computer files with anytime, anywhere access. Try it today for free at Carbonite.com and use the offer code TWIP and get two bonus months with purchase. That's Carbonite.com with the offer code TWIP. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account for six months, go to Squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP9. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash twip. This week on Twip, self-publishing for photographers, amazing new cameras from Canon, and an interview with podcasting veteran Martin Bailey. It's Saturday, September 17th, 2011, and this is Twip. And welcome back to TWIP, your weekly source of photographic inspiration. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me today on the show are Mr. Tristan Hall, Mr. Ron Brinkman with two N's, and Mr. Steve Simon is back from the wild. Hey, guys. Hello. G'day. Hello, Frederick. All right. We got to go from reverse. We got to go from the reverse. Steve Simon, where, what, what have you been up to and what's, uh, what's going on in the, the world of Steve? You got, got all the sand out of your shoes from being over in Dubai? Uh, yes, I, I have. And, uh, yeah, I was traveling a little, uh, with my wife in Europe this summer, uh, Germany, mm. visiting, visiting all her relatives, mm. uh, sort of nodding and smiling. I think they were talking about me. I couldn't really tell, but, uh, it was a great trip and we ended up in Paris last few days. So, you know, shot a lot of stuff and it was nice. And, and my new book came out, The Passionate Photographer, I'm very excited about. I have it right here, yes. Ooh. Let's talk about that a little bit. Thanks for reminding me. I, I have that book. Thanks for sending it over. It is a beautiful-looking book, Steve. i got well, to say. Um, what's the deal? Why did you write that thing, and, and what's, what's the book about? Well, basically, uh, you know, I've, I've been kind of teaching photography a long time, and I used to write a, a how-to column back in the day. You know, when I put myself through school, I wrote a how-to photography column that appeared in newspapers in Canada next to the chess column and the bridge column. I've been writing about photography for a very long time. So I, I decided to kind of distill everything that I knew about photography uh, in this uh, in this book called The Passionate Photographer to, to maybe help other photographers. I, I kind of held nothing back. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, so far the, the reviews are good. Uh, um, so I'm, I'm hoping that it'll, it'll help people. And, uh, so what, yeah. what is the book? For, who, who's the audience for the book? Is it for the photographer who's like, you know, hey, I want to be a photographer and I need to know what an f-stop is? Or is it more inspirational? Like, look at all this great work that Steve Simon did and this is how you can do it too. Yeah, it's, it's not so much. I, I think it's, it's really for anybody. I think if you're, a, if you're new to photography, because I'm not really concentrating on equipment, although I do say that 
Um, you know, I kind of distill it down into 10 steps that I think uh, if you follow them, it'll help you make become a better photographer. You know, one of the steps is is just, you know, purely volume. You've got to, sh- you know, shoot through a volume of work to get to the other side of great pictures. And, and part of that means you've got to be really uh, sort of comfortable with your equipment. When it becomes second nature, then your creativity uh, can soar. So that's the only real technical, and there's some technical stuff in there, but mostly it's 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 about process. So I think that even you know seasoned professionals uh, will get something from this book because it's not just me. I, I point to some other photographers as well that have inspired me and in some other projects. So I'm hoping that you know uh, I'm really hoping that um, I really like to see sort of more seasoned people get something out of it because that makes me feel feel that uh, feel pretty good. Yeah. Now this is this is book number what four five. Oh, well, this is like the first how-to photography book. But, yeah, I've, I've done four other kind of photography books in my career but yeah. on different subjects. But, uh, but this is the first kind of how-to one. So when, you, when I saw the title of the book, The, the Passionate Photographer, I know you do a, like a workshop lecture series of the same name. Is it, does it tie into that or, or how, did, how did that come about? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, this, this book has been uh, in the making for a long time, but my workshop is kind of similar. I go through the points, but, you know, in the workshop, we go over work, and, uh, you know, that's where it kind of kind of differs. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that um, as a photographer, I love to teach, and I like doing the workshops, and uh, I figure I will brand myself as the passionate photographer. I'm, I'm hopefully going to have the blog coming out in the next couple of weeks, and you know, I'll join the blogosphere. One more, one more voice. Yeah, I, I don't. Think one more website to stagnate. No, Steve, don't you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I just figured that you know, I got a lot of material that I could sort of put out there, and uh, you know, if I could, um, you know, help people, maybe uh, use this as a platform to to make some money, so I can pursue my own photography projects. Because the kind of photography I like to do is not very commercial. And it's, you know, it's hard to make a living at. So you've got to sort of survival is success, I say, as a photographer, especially doing the kind of documentary work I like to do. Love it. Well, congratulations on the book, Steve. And uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. I definitely have my copy. So thank you for sending it over. And I know Ron Brinkman also has a copy of the book. Hey, Ron. I do. Hey. How are you guys doing? How are you doing? What's going on? Good. Um, I have not written a book lately. So <laughs> well, the book you did about. write is, I think, it will tied you over to you turn 40 or like 75 or something right i mean it's a that book's got like 1200 pages in it that book is is uh yeah it's a heavy book <laughs> what is that book? <laughs> uh, it's it's a very niche audience book it's a problem it's for people doing digital compositing for visual effects work mostly in the film industry so yeah if you if you fit in that niche demographic you've probably heard of that book otherwise yeah <laughs> you should you should re make a more consumer book for final cut pro 10 right yeah, go. yeah. Or motion, right? It's some of the some of the engine that's in motion is some of your doing, isn't it? Uh, very, very peripherally. But I mean, you know, it's it's sort of it was intended to be a very focused book. I mean, it's you know, this, it's sort of an interesting thing to think about when you do a book. You can either go very broad, which means your audience is really wide, and you can uh, hopefully get a lot of people coming at it from that perspective where you can go very focused but hit a niche that doesn't have a whole lot of coverage you know the problem with going broad is that there's a lot of competition in that market if you go very focused you've got a much smaller market but there's not that many books in it so that's what i did and it's you know very targeted at that i have been trying to think about there's a lot of stuff in the book that is kind of um 
specific to more general um, sort of visual arts, including photography. And I have thought about kind of taking little pieces of it out and uh, making, you know, sort of ebooks. There's some yeah. interesting frameworks for doing ebooks. You've got uh, about 150 ebooks sitting right there. <laughs> yeah, well, it's kind of true. You know, there's a lot of stuff that. I think people would be willing to gra- grab an ebook for a few bucks instead of paying. You know, my book's seventy five dollars, so it's ridiculously overpriced. But yeah, yeah, and that big, you know, four dollars I make off of each copy. So hey, tells you know, it's the, the long tail, right? Like Chris <laughs> yeah. Anderson said, you know, four dollars times four hundred thousand people is better than nothing. <laughs> and if I had that four hundred thousand people, that'd be great. But like I said, I'm a very niche market. So. Yeah, yeah. That's but yeah, I don't know. I mean, Steve, you know what? What's your? You've got you've got the, an actual paper book out now. Have you thought about? Yeah, Wait a minute, hang on. Before we, before we get into that, I want to also introduce Mr. Tristan Hall, who's on the show, coming to us from South Africa. Hey, Tristan. Hi, how's it going? It's going awesome. Hey, um, before we jump into this discussion, because I want to continue the discussion on books and publishing, because I love that stuff. What What have you been up to down there? Have you gotten your hands on any new hardware? And what's what's happening in South Africa? Um, little bits and pieces here and there. Uh, new some of the new Sony NEX lenses, uh, the new NEX five N. We've just finished our review of the X A seventy seven. Just it's been a busy season for us, and we're busy wrapping up the October issue of the magazine. So, how's the magazine yeah, uh, going? By the way, is subscription your <clears> subscription <throat> base growing and all that. It's doing rather well. I mean, on the print side, the demand is higher than we can meet right now. Um, it's a free free distribution magazine, and what's been quite cool is to see we distribute it through photographic retailers and colleges, and um, we've actually got a point now where people walk specifically into those stockists to get the magazine each month, people which normally might not walk in. So it's been good for those industry players as well because it gives them an opportunity to get customers into their doors, which they, they may not have had in that month. So it's been great. And, and we'd never expected the print demand to be as high as what it is. Yeah. Um, well, what's the name of the magazine? Because some people are like, okay, um, that's great. I want it. Where? <laughs> what is it? <laughs> Photo comment uh, magazine. Okay, so and it's only available in South Africa, right? Or can it's available online as well um, okay. as a digital magazine um, at photocomment.net forward slash magazine, and um, that's where we you know, we have the digital version currently only um, in flash. Um, but there's testing on HTML5, and we are working towards hopefully having an app on Android and on the iPad out before the end of the year. So in that order, or um, no, no, no. Ideally, launching on both platforms at the same time. Okay, um, good. Okay, good. Is is kind of where we're heading towards. So yeah, because I hear I hear there's quite a few people using Android right now. I don't know if it's confirmed, but <laughs> yeah, it seems like it. Just a few. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Oh, sorry. I was. I was gonna. Okay, go ahead. I was gonna well, say. I was gonna. I was gonna talk to my publisher and maybe. Uh, See if they'll do a South African translation of my book so that when you read it, you'll hear me with a South African accent. Because I just well, if, if, <laughs> it could work. That could, yeah. could do quite well here. <laughs> Steve's a, the New York Jew from South Africa? I want to hear that accent, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could do accents, but I can't. That's awesome. All right, so so Ron, continuing on that, that thread that we were talking about. Well, you know, it's, it's, you know, actually Tristan kind of dives right into the same thing is sort of you know i mean i think this is for all photographers you know who are in a mode of sort of trying to figure out how do they get their work out and and for writers as well you know there's so many different markets now and it's kind of interesting it was interesting to hear tristan say that you know there's still a place for the print 
uh, version of a magazine, but it, te- it but it's driven by a very different model, which is you know as sort of a, a a way of getting people into into storefronts and everything like that. Um, and I thought it was interesting just mentioning that you were looking into doing uh, iPhone, iPad apps, mm-hmm. uh, and how does that relate to selling a book or a magazine and sort of the more formalized bookstore thing that that Apple is doing? I don't know if you've really looked into what the differences are between those in terms of both startup product and market and sales, but I, I think that's there's a lot of turmoil going on right now in all that space. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's uh you know we because uh, geez I think it was months ago I had uh, Rick Salmon on and Rick made the bold statement that he was going app only, you know, and I think yeah. I think Richard Harrington or was it Richard Harrington? Someone else made a made a similar statement saying that. They're moving away from the book publishing world. And these are guys with dozens of books behind them that you can't walk into a bookstore and go to the photography aisle without seeing their name. Mm-hmm. And like Rick has said, you know, hey, I can make more money. And it's not all about the money, as he, as he said, you know, but he, it's more economical. And he can get his message out quicker and broader digitally, whether it, th- whether it be through apps, which is what Rick's hanging his hat on, or you know, online training or that kind of thing. So clearly saying and drawing the line in the sand that he's moving, they're moving away from dead tree books or, or publishing. So, but I, I don't I know think, if you, I, and maybe I should just go back and listen to the, the darn episode, but mm-hmm. what, do you remember what the takeaway was for why you would do an app versus doing a, you know, a, an iBook kind of a scenario? Uh, you know, I don't recall. I think it was, you know, I'm, I have to go back and listen to it too, but I think it was about distribution. Because, yeah, you, you know, you get the traffic. Yes. Like, somebody like Rick Salmon has a ton of traffic going to his site. He's got a huge footprint in the social media world, so he can tweet about something and generate sales. Um, but having the app in the bookstore and have it be app of the week or something like that, I think that would likely generate more. So yeah, I think it's it's mostly financial consideration, really. I mean, a guy like Rick Salmon, who's, you know, done like a million books already, he's done many books. I think, you know, you put out a book, uh, not for the money. Like the Passionate Photographer, you know, is is my first kind of how-to book, and it. I guess when you put a book, a hard copy book, it it might establish some credibility because you know someone else has published it for you. But you certainly uh, do not reap the rewards the way the publisher does. Yeah, in terms clearly, of what they make. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, gets your word out, and you know when you look at David Dushman, who kind of is prolific and does both, and I know. Uh, Twip readers are probably familiar with his craft and vision site. Yeah. I mean, he's got a bunch of these uh, ebooks, and and it's easy for people to you know pu- push the button and for five bucks, you know, get uh, an ebook. And I know that he's done very very well with that. And I think other other people that I mean, Ron, that book that you wrote. I mean, I don't know how long it took you to write it. It's got so much information. As Fred said, it could probably be divided into you know 150 ebooks. Yeah. And when you do the math, um, there's no question that uh, it's very attractive um, for anyone really to to establish themselves uh, with an ebook. But but the, the the having that physical publication certainly is a credibility thing, and maybe that's you know going to change. I, I suppose it it's will. It's the cachet, right? I mean, you know, I, I had a again. I feel like I've talked to everybody. I had a conversation with David. Um, David Dushman, a couple, I think it was like two years ago before, or I think it was right around the time when he launched his first ebook. And we were talking about, because he's a, he's a, he's published through Peach Pit, I believe as well. 
Mm-hmm. So we were talking about the, you know, how do you balance that? You're you're writing your own stuff here and putting it out, in it's kind of competing with Peach Pit, you know, because they're they they want to sell words too, and you're doing it outside of contract with them, but you're also in contract with them. How does that work? And um, this was when he was still sort of blind manning his way through the process and trying to understand how things worked. And, you know, he's he I think that the gist of his success came or is coming from the fact that he is more. And you'll hear it when you listen to the interview. He's like, the money is secondary. He just wants to get these this vision out. And when he wrote that first one, his first ebook, I think he said he was in a coffee shop and he just like banged this thing out. And he was just writing. It was just, you know how when you get Steve, you get into that flow and you're just writing and the words just sort of appear on the page. Mm-hmm. You don't know where they came from. Uh, so, no, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> but go so, ahead. So it's a rare experience. Steve's, it's good Steve's experience is more like being constipated, right? You're just. Right. <laughs> so, so anyway, he got the book out and you know and he put it out there and he's like what should i charge for this you know and he put that you know that really extremely low price on it and people ate it up and then he just rinsed and repeated and then boom he had a whole cadre of these books out and he's like okay well i probably need to form something around this and there were their craft and vision came up you know so it wasn't from the 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 thing that i admire so much about what the flow that he's going through right now because the story is still unfolding is that it wasn't like this giant corporation that like, you know, the ones that we've worked for that you go in there and you're like, okay, let's make this business plan about how this is. And then we have to do the ROI and the, the lifetime value of a customer. What's that number? And then this, and then that, and what's the email marketing plan. And you put all this stuff together and then you launch on a certain day and then, you know, and then keep the marketing plan going. David's was more like I would do it. You know, it's more like, I have a great idea. I want to get this out there. I'm just going to put it out there and see if it sticks. If it doesn't, oh well. I'll go on. I'll, you know, I'll keep shooting. I'll go on my next trip. So, and I think that's you know, to what I was saying, I think that's what what is liberating to photographers, and 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 um, you know, it levels the playing field, so to speak, because anybody can go out and say, okay, I have something to say. I'm going to write an ebook and I'm going to put it on my blog and drive some traffic to it. And if people like it, they'll buy it. Right. So Ron, yeah. you could do the same yeah. thing. You could, you could take chapter five of your digital compositing book and, and put it up there and market yeah, well, it and it, make some money. Yeah. Except for the fact that theoretically my publisher owns all the content. Right. I was going to say, you don't own it anymore. You suck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's yeah, the unfortunate way it works with uh, most of these book publishing deals, but, uh, Still, no, I, th- I mean, I, I guess, you know, I, I'm still kind of curious, though, I, and I'd asked Tristan this question in particular. I mean, you, you said about the magazine that you were looking at doing it as an app, and, and why an app versus an ebook that would show up in, you know, the iBook store or on the Kindle kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Well, I think first of all is um, we've we've just registered recently to or Greg who does does our website and that um, as a developer on on Apple. So um, you know the, with the newsstand coming out and that it appears the the way that it will work is the newsstand will have those magazines apps which are are related to to publications like that. So that that's part of the reasoning behind it. It also allows us to integrate our alternative content. So for example, when we shoot a you know video um, hands on of a product or something like that, um, we can in the app have a space specifically for the video channel of stuff that's coming through. <clears throat> Sorry, so that that provides a a different um, approach for us and a little bit more of an interactive approach. Um, you know, and and I think the the ultimate thing with all of this though is that it's 
you know, the print medium for us has been good. Um, and the reason we went free distribution was because, uh, I, you know, with uh, a distributor putting your magazine onto book stands and that you pay at least 50% of the cover price to the distributor. Yep. Um, and print costs are high. You know, you, you don't make money back selling the magazine. Um, you're always going to be subsidizing it with advertising costs. So we kind of did the sums and said, well, you know, based on the return figures and that, that other magazines we've been involved with are looking at, it, you know, it just didn't make sense to try and make back 20% of the costs kind of thing by, by selling the magazine for all the, the labor and that that was involved in it. And that's why we went the free distribution model on print and it means we have to sell a little bit more advertising. Um, but we're able to get the magazine into the hands of far more people than, than what we had previously. And it opened up a, a different distribution model for us as well. Um, and I think for anybody looking at publishing books and that kind of thing as well, you, you need to look out of, outside of the box. Um, you know, the app opportunity does provide you with more interactive content and stuff that you can integrate. Um, and, you know, speaking about Rick Salmon, for example, when I go around at some of the bookshops here in South Africa, I don't think I've seen one of his books on the shelves here. Um, I've seen a, a number of the books, um, you know, from – from Peach Pit, then their subsidiary here it seems to be very strong on, on marketing some of the titles like you know Joe McNally or David Dushiman. But the, you know there's a lot of, of stuff out there that the South African market isn't seeing, mm-hmm. and you know they certainly are aware of some of these photographers and follow their blogs, but they just they're not getting an opportunity to partake of all of their work in that here unless they're ordering it from Amazon or stuff like that. So I think you know you do as a, a you know, as an author or, you know, writer, provide yourself with a, a better opportunity to meet a broader market um, in, than what you would through a publisher. Because also there's lots of, you know, that we, we looked at that industry at one point and, I mean, you know, because our business is content and the, the industry is one where, you know, the South African subsidiary of a publisher gets very upset with the UK and American subsidiaries when they're shipping books to the South African market through Amazon because, you know, they're not getting the cut of it and, and what have you and how they're supposed to run their offices here. And I mean, all of that is, is making life incredibly difficult um, for the consumer at the end of the day. They couldn't yeah. care. They want your book. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's just stuff like that to keep in mind. I think you you have a a, a broader audience globally um, by looking at it from a, a different distribution model, and you know, apps provide a certain interactivity that you wouldn't necessarily be able to do with a, an e, a PDF or a ebook type format. Yeah. All right, guys. Before we continue, um, I want to, of course, give a nod to one of our wonderful sponsors, Carbonite. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by Carbonite. Um, and basically, you know, there's, I'm looking at the, the ad copy here, and I'm just going to wing it because it's, it's an important service. And I've been talking about this a lot over the – just on and offline about the, the importance of backup over the, the, you know, the last couple of weeks. And, you know, whatever you do, you know, we've got all these cloud solutions, which are t- essentially servers in the sky, and that's what Carbonite is. You've got alternatives to have your stuff on your desktop. You've got alternatives to, you know, all these different services where you could ser- you know, save your your content. But what Carbonite does, their what their their value proposition is, is they're just they want to be in the background. They want to be they want to be your insurance policy and your your sort of security blanket for when you've worked on a document for hours and hours, you just downloaded some important files today. You don't want to have to think about where they backed up, where they are, are they safe? Did you make redundant copies and all that stuff? 
All this stuff is happens in the background with Carbonite. All your files are stored off-site, safely away. And, you know, if your computer crashes, somebody breaks in, steals your computer and your hard drives, you know, God forbid, or a nasty virus or something happens, Carbonite has backed everything up in the background. And, you know, whenever your computer is connected to the Internet, it backs up your file. So you log on. It's not like you have to go and say, okay, execute backup routine so you know five a b it just you go in there you make some changes and it sniffs and notices that you made some changes and backs everything up and if you have a computer disaster like somebody steals your drive or you know a tornado takes your house away or something it's easy to back up or restore sorry to restore those backed up files so you can get them back easily um and Access, you know, a lot of people say, okay, great, they're all in the cloud. It's going to take me forever to access them, or, you know, how do I get them? They're behind this steel vault that's sitting on a cloud somewhere. You can access those backed up files privately from your computer, your Android phone, your iPhone, your iPad, whatever, as long as you have their free app, you know? And it costs uh, $59 a year to get all this stuff going. And you're you're basically with that fifty nine bucks, you get un, unlimited anytime anywhere access. So sixty bucks a year is a small price to pay, I think, to have some peace of mind. And whatever solution you go with, this is an excellent solution. But the the point that I'd like to make to photographers, especially, is to have a solution. You know, don't keep all your eggs in one basket because your you know hard drives local hard drives whether you have some fancy whatever raid system all this stuff is all moving parts and moving parts fail even your body will fail you know it's a moving part <laughs> so uh yeah you unfortunately you can't back yourself up yet but you can back up your data so you can start your free trial today at carbonite.com just use the offer code twip twip and you'll get two bonus months free if you decide to buy the service. And that's Carbonite.com. Use the offer code TWIP and give them a try for free. No risk. All right. Um, let's move on. Let's see. Uh, what else were we going to talk about? Ron, did you have something to add to that, that last thing we were talking about? Do you want to move uh, on well, to the next story? On, only if somebody knows offhand if there are specific good frameworks for taking a... Uh uh, an e- you know, ebook, a PDF of a book, or something like that, and converting it into an app without having to really know app coding, kind of thing. Mm, you mean like a like a service, a service or some sort of application that you can take yeah, text and just make an app or from just it? A website where you can upload it and get an app back down, or I, I'm not quite sure how that works. I don't know if anybody else here is familiar with that or not. I but. am not, but I bet you at least one or. 500 of our listeners are so <laughs> you will, hey, it might be something to, to look into in a future thing because we'll i put that know, in the I forums think, we'll get some put a thread going on the twit forums about that yeah and, and i think you know as photographers it's the kind of thing where if it was really easy to make an app that had some interactivity you know you can click on this and see a larger version of the photo you can be taken to a making a video all that kind of stuff um that would be a, a sensible thing for a photographer to do even even you know if you're doing a I haven't seen this, but you know, can you imagine you're a wedding photographer and one of the things you provide to your clients is an app. An they app. can run their iPad and you know, go back and watch, have a little interactive session of going and watching the videos and even you know, distribute it to anybody that was at the wedding. Just make yeah. it easy to say, just, yeah, just go into mm-hmm. the, web, you know, the app store and for a dollar you can buy a video of the wedding kind of thing. Yeah. That would, hey, there's a business model. That, that would Very be awesome. Run. I would totally get yeah. something like yeah. that. 
Ron, I'm make full it of happen. ideas. Make it happen, Ron. Make yeah. it happen. Yeah. If anybody wants to partner up with me, give me a call. Yeah, all right. Okay. There you go. Or me. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> you just do all the work. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, guys, before we continue, I, I wanted to... There's a bunch of new hardware releases that have uh, popped up over the last couple days, weeks. I want to chat about those a little bit. One is from Canon um, that Ryan was talking about, the S100, which is, uh, what is it, replaces the S95. What's up with that camera, Ron? Yeah, it's, um, you know, when I when I run around with the camera, it's either I carry my big DSLR or, you know, I, I do like to have a compact camera with me sometimes, but it's generally I want something that's still going to have reasonably high quality. And so Canon's kind of high end of their ultra compact, if you will, has typically been, well, the most recent model was the S95, which I have. Uh, prior to that, I had a Panasonic Lumix LX3, which is in that same family of, you know, it's it's reasonably small. It's effectively pocketable if you've got reasonably sized pockets. Um, but it will shoot raw, and it gives you full control over uh, all the different settings. You have full manual control, but it's still a compact camera. Mm-hmm. And the S100 was just announced uh, a couple days ago, and it looks it looks quite nice. I mean, it's they've done a lot of stuff with. Um, I think they even increased the the width of it. You know, the, these are all compromised, obviously, when you got a small small camera like this. But you know, on the wide end, it'll shoot 24 millimeters wide, which I like. It's actually a little bit wider than my S95. Uh, F2 aperture. F2 aperture. So it's decent in low light. Uh, you are shooting raw in here, so you can have the extra ability to go in and uh, pull detail out of the shadows uh, or pull down any clipped highlights kind of thing. And the other sort of neat feature that at least I like, uh, being mostly a person who does photos when they travel, is they now do have an integrated GPS chip inside of this. Mm. So the small camera will also be grabbing GPS tags and adding them to the photo. Uh, you can turn neat. that off, right? I presume. Presumably, you can turn that off. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I don't know if you. I mean, I don't know who else is. I think Tristan, you looked at this a little bit, but it seems like a, a sweet little camera. You know, I kind of wish I could just uh, trade my trade my S ninety five in for one of these right away and uh, not have to take the. What's the price point? It. What was going to set you back? They are typically in the around four to five hundred dollar range. I think. I don't know if there's a. And they're not cheap. They're not the super low end, you know, features or price. Uh, no, in South Africa, the S ninety five is about four thousand rand, which would mean it's probably about three hundred and fifty, four hundred dollars roughly. Yeah. Um, is is normally what the retail price is that side. So, Got it. very very nice camera. Got it. I know a lot of a lot of pros that are shooting. You know, the S ninety five was their compact camera of choice, and with the S one hundred, the Canon have put their own twelve megapixel CMOS sensor inside of it as well. So it's going to be quite an exciting one, I think, for them. And what about um, the? There's also the, the what was it? The Canon SX forty. SX forty. Yeah, that's the the big one. The SX forty HS. It's also got a CMOS sensor in it, twelve megapixels, and a massive thirty five times optical zoom. So going from twenty four to eight hundred and forty millimeters. <laughs> Let's that's, stop and think about that for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is this is interesting. But, you know, I don't quite understand in some ways why. They're able to make these built-in lenses that'll do a 24 to 840 zoom, and you, you can't buy a lens like that for your SLR. I mean, I know there's a lot of compromises, but um, boy, you know, if you want to have an extremely versatile zoom range, uh, that that kind of covers uh, quite a bit there. 
Yeah. And and the quality on them is generally quite good. I always used to be quite anti these huge zoom hybrid cameras until I, I saw some of the work that was being done with photographers, you know, just enthusiasts here in South Africa in bird photography and that. And, and the quality was mind blowing. If I would have never guessed that it was coming out of one of these hybrid compacts, um, really, really fantastic image quality. Yeah. I mean, the so, sensors are, are good. You know, they're, obviously they're still smaller sensors than you get yeah. uh, even on, on a crop sensor or a full frame kind of thing. But Oh man, I mean that's such a versatile range. If you just want an all-in-one camera that you know will let you sh- get, I mean, I can I could really see something like this if you were going on, you know, safari or bird watching, like you said, or something like that, where you're not quite mm-hmm. sure how far away you're going to be. I mean, 840 millimeter zoom is a serious zoom, and this, you know, it in- includes um, stabilization as well on the lens. Yeah. So, uh, and it does 1080p 24 HD video, so you know it's it's it covers kind of like everything in one machine. It really is, you know, the we're getting very close to that uh, Wonder camera that Canon demoed uh, about a year or so ago, which with like infinite possibilities. Yeah, uh, that's exciting. All the stuff coming out, and then you know everybody's been raving about the Fuji FinePix X100, right? And that's uh, well, that's on my list. I kind of want the X100. I don't know. I don't why. know if you. St- Saw this, but recently they announced um, the X10. What is the um, X10? Which is basically, it looks like the X100, but it's got the small compact camera sensor inside of it. It's there. It's Fuji's answer to the, um, basically to like your Canon G12 or your Olympus XZ1, your LX5 um, from Panasonic. Hmm. It, it looks like an X100, um, it, but it's got a, a zoom lens in it. So it's a compact camera sensor. It's a 12 megapixel sensor. Um, and yeah, they just, they, they announced that I think on the 1st of September, um, which was quite surprising. Four times optical zoom. So 28 to 112 millimeter. Um, yeah, very very nice uh, camera f2 aperture. So it's it's kind of you know the S100 is kind of like you know similar camera but without the hot shoe. Uh, this would be you know this has the hot shoe on it on the top. It's got the little dials and everything the X100 has. So it looks like a mini rangefinder. It's really quite an, an interesting camera. That's really cool. Did they did they say anything about price? Um, I'm I just always ask about price. I don't know. I must be price sensitive. <laughs> it, it must be. Um, I, I don't see anything on the price at the moment. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be a lot cheaper than the X100 is, I think. Uh, you're probably looking kind of Canon G12 type price, price range. Okay. I think um, that uh, this particular we're, model. we're ultimately going to see uh, the X100, I think, has been adopted uh, and loved by a lot of photographers. I think you might see uh, an interchangeable lens version of that camera come mm. out in the future. Mm. Well, I mean, there's already talk here in South Africa that the the Sony NEX um, 7 that they announced recently is kind of uh, an answer to the guys demanding an interchangeable lens X100. Um, so, you know, it doesn't have – it's got an electronic viewfinder, but an incredible one at that Um and yeah, I think I think Fuji. It's it's kind of a given. It's just a matter of time. I speak to a lot of the press photographers in that here, and they they're drooling to get their hands on a on an X100. Um, or one of them even said he would be happy to have an X100 with the the 35 mm, and then one with a slightly telephoto lens, and he'd carry both cameras around and 
kind of retire his SLR stuff for the bulk of what he does here. So yeah. it's, I think it's been quite an exciting camera for the pros. You know what I mean? Like slightly off topic, you know what we need like for photographers? I, all these cameras that keep coming out and all these different changes and, you know, causing all this lust from gearheads. Wouldn't it be great if there was a service that you could pay a subscription fee to? And check whatever cameras you want you want out, kind of like a borrow lenses, but you're you can always just go online and say, hey, I want I want that one now, and I'm sending this other one back, like like I mean, Netflix for cameras, exactly a Netflix <laughs> for cameras. You can I pay want extra that. To have two out per uh, at a time instead of just one out at a time. Yeah, I don't want to make yeah I don't want to make a commitment, you know, and like okay, let me think about this because I'm going to be with this camera forever, and when I finally get ready to get rid of it, it's a hassle to sell it on Amazon or whatever or not amazon or ebay or whatever um or even amazon because i know you can do stuff through them yeah. um, let me just be a voice of reason fred and talk uh-oh. you down <laughs> oh because i know you you're down. gonna say because somebody will get the camera and trash it and then you'll be in africa and oh, you'll be pissed off. i'm just saying you know really you just have to you know it's not about the camera as we all know that and i just <laughs> want to talk you down a little bit because you know it's about taking pictures and the camera that is most Second nature to oh, you is probably going to be the one. You are not reciting scripture back to me. I just saved you eight thousand dollars. You are reciting my own scripture back to me. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Steve Simon. I appreciate that. I'm off the ledge now. Yeah. All right, guys. Um, let's get the show on the road a little bit. We've got a great interview that I did a couple of days ago. You know, as some people in the audience may already know from time to time, I like to interview other podcasters on the show. And a few days ago, I was able to convince Mr. Martin Bailey, who's a veteran photographer, and he's a veteran photographer, but he's also a veteran in podcasting. And uh, he agreed to come on and share with us his history and a bunch of other things. So have a listen. I'm here with Martin Bailey of the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. I was lucky enough to to... to bend his arm and get him to come on the show and talk to us about <laughs> the things that he's been up to and the, the uh, sort of projects that he has going. So, Martin, welcome to This Week in Photo. Well, thanks very much for having me, Frederick. It's great to be here. I don't know about bending my arm. It's like when you, when you said you want to come on the show, I, I, I was almost on your doorstep waiting. It's, uh, <laughs> was that who that was? I was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, lo- I, love the, I love your show and you know, everything that you do over there. It's great stuff. So I'm, I'm really, really pleased and honored to be here. No, thank you. Thank you. It's, a, it's an honor to have you on. You're, like I was mentioning, you, are, you created the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast, which you're running, what, like 300 episodes strong right now, right? Yeah, we, I released 298 yesterday, so we're two episodes off 300. Um, it, we turned six last year, uh, last week. So Six uh, years of podcasting. So you yeah. started your podcast back in the, the Tips from the Top Floor days, right? Yeah, there was Lens Work and Tips from the Top Floor were the only two that I was aware of at the time. So. What made I, you start I, a podcast, of, you know, of all things? Because I, I understand <laughs> you, were, you were in corporate America and yeah. what what made you say you know what i i have a i have a message i have something to say that people might want to hear it it seems so natural there was actually a, a friend of mine um it, we call him short bloke his, his real name's and there's another martin but um a guy that i used to work with uh sent me an email saying you know hey have you have you listened to these podcast things they're pretty cool here's a couple and he sent me links to the two that i mentioned and i listened to them i thought they were great but i i also thought that yeah, I thought Brooks Jensen's lens work was really nice, great, philosophical, no gear talk and all of that, or not much. But he didn't, it was a little bit short. And Chris's was, at the time, 
much more, it was more like a point and shooty sort of approach. It was bubbly, light, and a little bit more, I mean, I'm not that um, effervescent a person. <laughs> so it was like, um, I, I just thought, you know, there's somewhere in the middle there for me. Um, yeah. And it just, it just felt natural for me to be, because I'm, I'm probably a little bit more, more philosophic sometimes, but I also wanted to do slightly longer shows than, than Brooks. And, you know, somewhere a little bit less effervescent than Chris. Um, he has changed the style of his shows a lot over the years um, and remained good all the time. But yeah. it, I just thought there was an, an area there in the middle for me. And um, so I just cranked it all up and, and started. Well, that's the magic of, of this stuff, right? Of podcasting right. in general, because there's no or very low barriers to entry. Anyone who who has something to say or thinks they have something to say can throw their hat in the ring and, and it's a level playing field, right? Right. And it's much easier now. I mean, as I was just chatting before we started recording, you know, that when I started, there was no um, real, there wasn't WordPress with the podcasting plugin and all of that to just create a feed for you. So I, I ended up having to code most of that myself. <laughs> it might have been there, but I wasn't aware of it because I just jumped in on a whim. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, I really, I started out doing all of the coding first and then recorded an episode and and then my friend said it's crap do it again so, <laughs> so i had to go out and buy a buy a mixer and a mic and you know things like that but it was it was a lot of fun it was it was great it would the early days were were nice i mean and you were only a, maybe a year or so after that right it's yeah uh, yeah yeah it, it seems like forever because i remember when i when the first podcast that I listened to, I think it was Tips from the Top Floor, because you know, of course, mm. you get on there and you search for podcasts, and of course, keyword yeah. you throw in there is photography, and that's the one that right. came up. Um, but the other one I listened to was, um, God, was it uh, the Daily Source Code from what's his name, Adam? What's his name from uh, MTV? Adam. Yeah. I, 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 I know it's not Corolla. I want to say Corolla. Anyway, that Adam, everyone's going to be like, yeah, of course yeah. you should know who it is. <laughs> He's the father of podcasting, you know. <laughs> or he says he is. He says the pod father. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that one and, and photography, or this week, or the um, tips from the top floor were the first ones that I listened to. Mm. And I got hooked because I was like, you know. I, back then, I wasn't even thinking about being a podcaster at all. I was like, this is really cool. I can, I can pick and choose what I want to listen to when I listen to it, you know. So yeah, it's yeah. kind of that, that time shifting and tivo like experience so i know what you mean i mean it's 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 sort of i, I can imagine i can imagine for you as well um i mean i don't know everything about your background but as, from where you've come from I, I can imagine that you were kind of shocked to be end, ended up hosting a a, uh, a an incredibly popular photography podcast each week yeah i i still i try not to look at the numbers because it it, <laughs> it will mess me up <laughs> <laughs> Adam Curry is his name, by the way. Uh, yeah, Adam yeah. Curry. So sorry, Adam. Yeah. I, I was, my brain wanted to say Adam Carolla. That's <laughs> uh, yeah, a different podcaster now. <laughs> so, uh, you know, back to you. So, uh, aside from the podcasting, you know, you yeah. were. Let's go back into your 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 past a little bit. So, you were a you were in corporate America. You know, an IT geek, if as it were. Yeah. Um, with a passion for photography, which is like millions of people out there, right? Yeah. So yeah. what what pushed you over the edge to say, you know what, I want to be a name on the web and I want to be a professional photographer and I want to get away from this nine-to-five grind? It, I think it started, I mean, the, the passion for photography has been there since, it, well, I don't know, 25 years or so before. I, I, I got my first SLR 20 years ago um, and Digital changed it up a, a, a gear or, or 10. 
um, uh, you know, just with the instant feedback and all of that. And I started to feel as though I could make a decent image maybe from around 10 years or so ago. Um, but I, I, I basically, I mean, I, was, I came back to Tokyo. I went back to England for three years, um, came back to Tokyo in 2000 with a, a Florida-based company that I, I really loved working for, great people. Um, but despite the fact that I was really enjoying the day job, uh, once I started the podcast, um, photography, I mean, the podcast for me, I started it because I, I wanted to share. I, I love sharing. But I was always, I mean, the name even, the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast, I mean, how, how, uh, how vain can you get? It's like, <laughs> but but the, the thing is, is that my plan was always not so much to be about me, but about talking, using my, my photography and my experiences to explain about photography to others. Um, but it, it turned out that, you know, I mean, obviously, we, we never fully become, you know, the, the, to, the totally proficient at what we do. I mean, we all get to a point where, we've, where we're happy with where we're going and, and never should we stop trying to learn more. I mean, I, I don't think I've arrived in any sense of the word. But what happened was, as I started the podcast, it started to pull me in. And it, it actually it had an effect that as I was out in the field, I would find myself, I'd, I'd start running through checklists because I'd be, I'd be creating a podcast script in my head while I was shooting. <laughs> yeah. and, and so I know the so, feeling. <laughs> yeah, so so basically, I, I would I would catch myself making a mistake as I made it, correct it, and then the result is is better quality images. So podcasting actually improved my photography, and and I saw over the over the last six years how my work. It might, I mean, some of it would have been organic. It would have happened anyway. The more you shoot, you better the better you get. Yep. You know, there's the old ten thousand hour thing. Um, but I, I felt that it just drew me in and, and the passion just got stronger and stronger to the point where um, from a couple of years ago, I started to, what, what, what started happening was, although I was giving my, my all, the company that I used to work for my all, um, you know, it's a very demanding job and I was in a reasonable position. Um, I, I felt as though I'd started to, um, I don't know, not fend off so much, but when there was new jobs coming up, new tasks coming up, I felt as though I was starting to protect myself from jumping in and doing those additional things because I wanted to get out of the door at 6.30 or whenever and get home and, and get online and continue to you know, create podcasts and, and do all of my, my personal stuff. Yeah. And so th there was that. I mean, it really started to just draw me in to the point where it was affecting my day job. And also, I mean, I, I figured that after a while, I mean, I'd created a, a reasonably recognizable logo and I was starting to build a bit of a brand as well. And people were kind enough to sort of recognize me around the web and Google's been good to me. I mean, I, I don't know if it's because I'm signed into Google, but I generally, when I search for photography podcasts, I'm always in the top three. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it really, it came to the point where I figured, you know, you've got a brand and if you don't make this jump now, it's going to be too late, you know, because there's a lot of people coming coming along doing the same sort of thing. Um, I actually, I mean, one of the, it seems like everybody's doing workshops now, um, and and you know that's not a bad thing. There's the, the actual value of photography itself is dropping out pretty quickly. So, mm -hmm. I, uh, you know, everybody seems to be doing workshops, and but from four years ago, um, I, I was doing well four and a half now. We do them in the winter. Um, I've been running. Um, 
Hokkaido, the, the diamond-shaped island at the top of Japan. Mm-hmm. I've been running tours and workshops up to there, up there. And, you know, we, sh- we shoot the winter scenes with the red crown cranes and the eagles and all of that. And they've become very popular. They sell out within, a, you know, not as quick as some, but they sell out within a few months each year. And so that, I mean, I, even while I was in my old job, I'd got a relatively lucrative tour and workshop business. Yeah. Um, I was starting to do portraiture on the side at the weekends. And, and I thought, you know what, there's, there's a living here. I, it when did you hit t- the tipping point? When did, when did you hit the you know, either the mental or the, the monetary point where you were like, you know what, you know, like you were just saying, there's, there's a business here and I am generating enough income to a support my family, be able to eat and, um, maybe, you know, health insurance, perhaps, you know, all that stuff. How, when did you get to the level where, you know, and you were comfortable that, you know, you get, you're not living just at the poverty line. I, I think it was, I mean, I, I still, honestly, as I've had a few setbacks this year, uh, and and the word health insurance made me think about it, you know, that I I actually, um, I've had really, the last three months I've been convalescing, I, I, we found that I've got a, a, a little bit of a brain tumor oh, um, no. about, about three months ago, and uh, I, I had surgery pretty quickly, um, but... I'm still at the moment not 100% back to normal. I'm 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 going to be on medication for a few years, but you yeah. know the the it's I'm starting to book jobs from October again. But at the moment I'm actually still getting just on my way back to to 100%. Um and that really, I mean I had some some tours in Europe set up that I was starting to we were about to announce in uh, October time and I and I really just had to say, you know, this year is is out for me now. Yeah. So, I that's the, that's, the that's the danger of being a sole proprietor, right? I mean, right. And, yeah, because you right. are the engine. If the engine is is on the sidelines, then the income stops, right? Right. And I mean, the good thing is is that I've been well enough. After the first month was rough, but after that, I've been well enough to do prints. Um, you know, I, I make a a reasonable amount on my fine art prints. I I, I do my own printing. I love printing. Yeah. Um, because Tokyo uh, is not a cheap place to live. I've lived there. It is not. <laughs> it it is not a place for you know. You know, I'll just wing it and live in hostels kind of place. It is a. <laughs> you need to be making some bank if you want to live in that city. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Well, so just well, surviving is wealthy, right? Yeah. So so I mean, the, you you mentioned you know, the tipping point. I started to plan the actual transition about two years ago. I decided that you know the. I was. I realized that I was starting to avoid new tasks and things in the office, and I, I thought, you know, this is not fair anymore. So I did a couple of things. I started to look for a new apartment. <laughs> we we moved out of the city, out of my two thousand dollar a month apartment, to somewhere that's about. It's it's like this place costs us about one thousand eight hundred a month, but it's twice the space, and I've got a I've got a a studio office. I've got a room downstairs that I can use as well. Yep. So this was really starting to prepare for creating a business you know the the registered um you know address for my business is my home yeah um but i also at that time figured you know i was i was here on an intra-company visa um and i i thought you know i don't want the hassle of going to a, a working visa again and then having to get another visa for being a photographer because you know although i've been doing it a while it's pretty t- pretty tough to get those um visas based on work experience here so I, I thought, you know what, I've just had enough of all of that stuff. I'm going to realize one of my dreams of never having to go back. 
and I applied for citizenship as well. So I'm actually now um, a Japanese citizen, which is, you know, you wouldn't believe it looking at my, um, my rather overweight body, but I, <laughs> I was going to say I, your accent does not sound Japanese. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But my Japanese accent actually sounds like a Northern Japanese person. So I'm, I'm a Northerner in England and in Japan, in Japan, but, wow. um, I, yeah, I, I just made, I made it so that I didn't have to worry about visas anymore. And I didn't have to worry quite so much about the high rent because we moved out of the city. Um, yeah. And I just set it all up in, in my last year in, in work. And it was actually, uh, it was September 30 last year, uh, yeah, last year when I had my last day at the office. Um, and, and it was tough because I, I really, really, I loved the guys that I work with. Uh, I'm actually, I'm going back to see them. We're going, for a, we're going out for a drink on the 30th again on my year, the year's leaving anniversary. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so I, I can't say that there was anything wrong with the company. I really enjoyed it. The money was great. But I just, photography took me over and made me decide that I, I had to do it. And, I mean, you were talking about the, the, the financial aspect. I, because of my setbacks, I probably haven't made, uh, I don't know, even a quarter of what I was making last year. Yeah. Um, and when you, when you consider the, the fact that I've been buying additional studio stuff, I haven't bought any new lenses and anything for a while, but I've been buying new studio gear, setting up, for working on the portrait side. And so I'm probably about, just about broken even this year on money in, in the business, but I'm still not taking a salary. I'm, I'm still paying myself with money that I bought. I had to buy all of my own equipment for myself. <laughs> so yeah. now my, all of my lenses and my gear and everything is all owned by my company and not me. But it means that I've been giving myself a, a reasonable wage, just paying back that money. So it, it's working out, but it's it's going to take another year or so before I, I I'm, I'm hoping to be earning the same amount that I was earning in my old job at the end of my third year. Um, and so you know, if that happens, I'll be a very happy man. So let, let's let's talk a little bit about the workshops. Actually, before we get to that, you know, what we haven't talked about is the kind of photographer that you are. You know, are mm. you are you a portrait? Do you are you shooting models? Are you you know landscape? What what kind of photographer is Martin Bailey? So I, my passion is nature and wildlife. I all of most of my um, fine artwork is is comes from some of the amazing places that I've, I've visited around Japan. And also I've started to do more international stuff. I was in Antarctica for a month earlier this year, running a, a tour with a, an Australian guy called David Burren. And, you know, we had a great time down there. I came back with a lot of great work and some of the images are already selling pretty well. Um, but I, so yeah, mainly nature photography, landscape work at wildlife. Um, but I, uh, kind of as a side business to my, my main persona as a photographer is the the portrait work, and I, I'm not a, not a great street photographer, and never really have tried to be. But when I'm in a, a situation where we've set up lights, we've got people even out, outside. I'll generally make sure that I take um, some some strobes with me, and we'll get the soft boxes out and actually do a, a really professional shoot. I love doing that stuff, and I love the results. So it's I'm really wearing two hats within my own business. Yeah. Now, you, now you mentioned selling your work. How how and where are you selling your work? It's I mean I'm not selling hundreds a month, um, not even tens a month most of the time. But I I just set made sure that when I created my gallery at martinbaileyphotography.com, I added a cart feature, and it okay. basically it allows people to go through select images that they like and 
put them into a cart and then you go off to PayPal to pay for them and I will then fulfill the order. Um, you can do the same thing from my um, my photo shelter store as well. If you if you go to martinbaileyphotography.com on the top page, there's links to all of this stuff. But um, you can also order prints from, from my photo shelter store. But the... At the, at the end of the day, the print order comes to me. I, I, I want to create original prints, you know, in the old terms. Um, so and not letting like they, I, I go to your site, I place an order, it goes to a lab, they print it and ship it to me, and you get the money. It's not that flow. It's right. a, no. You, uh, I pay, it goes into your PayPal account, you get a notification, and you put on your white gloves, and you print the thing and ship it to me. Exactly, yes. and and I've I've got nothing against the you know the the third using the the outsourcing of the printing model. Um, if you don't enjoy printing, I think that's great, and there are some amazing services. Um, but I just I enjoy printing. It, to me, it's what it's it's like. If I if I'd have been born twenty years earlier. I would have been in the dark room covered in chemicals every weekend. Yeah. <laughs> what are it's, you What are you printing on? What's the, What's your printer? The I at the moment my main printer is an IPF six three fifty. It's the image prograph from Canon, twenty four inch wide, large format printer. Okay. Um, I I've also got sitting next to that a Pro nine thousand five hundred. Um, I used to print with Epson, but uh, a few maybe I think it was like seven years or so ago, I started to use Canon. And they're both great. Again, you know, being very diplomatic here, but I, you know, Epson have come a long way as well. Canon have really made strides in the last five, six years. Yeah. And and so you know, I'm currently a Canon printer as well as shooter. But I, um, yeah, I mean, I I just love that. I mean, this the the large format printer. It, it's like it's a monster, and it it's just. It, like you said earlier, the white gloves thing. I, I, as soon as I start printing, I'm I'm getting the rolls of paper out. I've got like a storeroom in the back of my office here, and I've got loads of rolls of paper. You get the, get this particular roll out for the type of image that I'm going to shoot and uh, that I'm going to print, and got the white gloves on and making sure that I don't get anything messy. I feel like a little mad scientist, yeah. and and I like that. You know, so I wouldn't take on a job like this. I wouldn't do it this way if I didn't enjoy the printing. I think you've got to enjoy it to do this type of work, but. It, it, if you enjoy it, make it a part of your of your business model and and see if you can make some money from it. Well, well speaking of printing, the, the step before printing, of course, is post processing. What, yeah. what are you using for your post processing? You know, I assume Photoshop is somewhere in there, but what's, what's your workflow? I generally, if I can do everything from start to finish in Lightroom, I will. I I'm, a, I'm actually a member of the. X Rights Colorati, which basically they they called me about a year and a half ago and asked me to come into the Japan office, and they offered they basically invited me to join the group, and and it's I was very pleased because I mean there's like Rick Salmon in there, um, you know all of the big names. There's about fifty photographers from around the world, um, and I was very honoured to be invited in, and obviously like with you yesterday, I was almost sitting on their doorstep as soon as they read. But <laughs> you um, spend a lot of time on doorsteps. I do, much. I do. <laughs> Um, but yeah, they, uh, actually on the day they called, they said, can you come and see us? And I, and I said, w- when? They said, are you free this afternoon? Cause they at the time didn't know I was still in my old job. And because it was, a, although I'm working in Tokyo overlooking the Imperial Palace, because I was working for a Florida based company, we basically go to sh- work in polo shirts and, and, you know, chinos and whatever. So I was, I was at work at the time. And so I had to run out and buy a white shirt from, from a nearby <laughs> store to go and meet these guys. 
because yeah. I, I thought that they might be more traditional J- Japanese company, and they, and they were to a degree. So, yeah. but yeah, I so because of that, before I sidetrack myself too much, I uh, I generally when I'm shooting, I, the, the the workflow starts there because I'll use the color checker passport to make sure that I get really nice punchy colors and accurate colors, but it generally means punchy. Um, and then in Lightroom, I'll, I'll create the profiles. I'll apply those. If I don't, if I, I was, a, I mean, we were mentioning yesterday in the Hangout that um, I, I used to shoot Fujichrome, Velvia, and Provia, and so I really like the highly saturated images when I'm doing color. Yeah. Um, and so I'll generally give them a little bit of additional saturation if they're not punchy enough, and that again I do in in Lightroom. But the other thing is, I mean, I, I find that if I don't like, if I think that the color's getting in the way or it's not adding anything to an image, I'll generally jump into Nick Software Silver Effects Pro. And that is just, an, I mean, they, they upgraded it. It was perfect before. I did a podcast, video podcast on this two weeks ago. But like when Silver Effects Pro, the first version came out, I thought it was perfect. And they incredibly, I don't know how they did it, but they, they managed to improve on perfection with version 2 that they released about six months ago. And so now that's my black and white conversion um, application of choice. And it just does such a great job. You can, you can do what it takes you an hour to do in Lightroom in like 30 seconds and get to a bit of dodging and burning with the control points. Really, really nice application. Yeah, yeah. we were talking about that on the, on the, in the Google Hangout that we did yesterday. And uh, I think one of the one of the things that I brought up was when is using presets or plugins cheating, and is it cheating or is it just you know evolution of technology? What do, what do you think about that? I I don't think it's cheating at all. I, I mean, I don't do a lot to my images. I'm not one that will jump in and clone lots of stuff in or out. Um, you know, I I don't mess with my images very much at all. But it's not because. I, I I think it's cheating. It's more because I just I just don't like spending a lot of time yeah. messing with images. Yeah. Um, but because Silver Effects Pro is is quick, I don't mind doing that. The round trip even doesn't bother me because the benefits are so good. Um, but it, it's I don't think it's cheating. You could do this stuff back in the day, and and Ansel Adams would have been he he would have had more plugins on his computer than anyone else if he was alive today. So and and if we we don't have to use Ansel Adams as a as the standard, but you know for sure a lot of the people that were doing the the remarkable work ten twenty thirty forty years ago would have been doing exactly the same stuff now. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just I I it's a leading question because I I fall into the camp of pixels were born to be punished. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah, (laughs) and uh, you know, and there, if as long as you're 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 manipulating pixels under the auspices of creating art, I don't think Mm. there's any wrong with doing anything. But if you're if you're trying to trying to persuade the viewer that this this thing actually happened, like this is a photojournalistic or a news image, then Mm. there are lines you're boxed in on what you can do. But if you're creating art, then you know it's just wet paint, in, in my opinion. So. Yeah, I, I'm totally, totally with you. I used to be much more, um, I used to have a, a big problem with, with it, manipulating images. Mm. I, I used to, I used until maybe, I don't know, maybe five, year, five or so years ago, I used to think that you, even just applying filters was a bit of a cheat. But the more I learned about photography and the history and what people used to do, I think I've, I've just figured that it was, it was fine. I, and like I said, I mean, I still don't do a lot now. I, I probably wouldn't, 
do many of the things that 90% of the photographers out there are doing now. But, but I totally agree with what you're saying. That's me. And, and if it's my art, I can decide what I want to do with it. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and everyone else has the right to do exactly that as well. So Yeah, yeah I was totally. having a conversation with a photographer. Jeez, uh, I think it was either... I think it, was, it might have been Steven Johnson or George Jardine when he was at Adobe. And I, the, the conversation centered around where does the line of manipulation, image manipulation, start? And if you're a purist mm-hmm. and you say, you know, don't apply any filters and no image should be Photoshopped and no Gaussian blurs and all this stuff, mm-hmm. fine. But then if you back up from that, you made it, even if you're shooting film, you make a choice on what film emulsion you're going to shoot on if you're mm. if you're printing it yourself you make a choice you know back in the day with the larger you make a choice on which enlarger and what filters to put on the larger to mm. get better contrast and whatnot you yeah. make lens choices photography is full of choices you know and if yeah. you ex- you extend it all the way through to computers you're just making you just have more choices to make you know right. so you right. can't i don't think there's a way to say that images can't be manipulated the only way an image isn't manipulated in my opinion is when you're looking at it with your naked eye and even then <laughs> yeah even then everybody has different sets of rods and cones in their heads <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean no one person sees the same the same scene right. exactly the same so, so yeah losing totally battle. agree totally agree <laughs> So let's talk about your workshops a little bit. So you, you, you mentioned these workshops that you're doing in, in, in northern Japan and around Japan. Um, what happens? What's it, are they two-day long, one-day long, and, and how much are we looking at? Well, we generally call them a tour-slash-workshop because they're, they're actually 12-day long. Um, they're, they're really minute, like a 12 days? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a, so it's, it's, it's basically, I mean, not all of them. I do do an X-Rite uh, seminar that's a one-day seminar, takes you all through the color, managed digital workflow, uh, color management digital workflow. But um, I, when we go out for the tours to Hokkaido, we, we actually start in Nagano, the place that's just sort of uh, northwest of Tokyo, where you have the snow monkeys in the, uh, in the hot springs. Um, and that... Is that's the first three days of the tour. So we're out there. We we actually walk along the the, the valley, uh, the side of the valley, down into the, the where the pool is with the monkeys for the first three days, and then we all go to the Hanada Airport together. We 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 move around in buses generally, but you know, obviously Hokkaido is way up north. It's a, it's a couple of hours um, flight, so we go over to the airport together, um, spend the night at the uh, at the hotel air, at the airport. And then jump on the plane the next morning and we're out on the snow photographing the red crown cranes for a few days after that. And then we go off to the eastern side of the island. Well, on the way, we, we stop for a couple of days at a, a place where we shoot hooper swans. Then we go off to the east side of the island and shoot the stellars, uh, stellar sea eagles and white-tailed, um, white-tailed eagles. And so basically, is, is, is the workshop itself, I mean, is it... Is it, is it um you know, Martin is taking you to different locations um, around Japan and you're photographing and then you go home or is it that and then you post-process and then you go home? How, what's what's right. the flow? So in from last year, what I did was um, we cut out a large part of, of landscape work that was only popular with a part of the group when they came. So I figured, you know, I had feedback that people wanted to do more wildlife and have more time in each location. So what we did was I, I made it so that we've got two days in all but one of the locations. And because we're in, we're in these locations longer, what I did was I built mornings and afternoons at the hotel 
and I, I take a projector with me and we actually get into the, the color management and we, we do critique sessions now. So oh, I, I, I give everyone in the, in the group a, a Martin Bailey photography branded USB key. <laughs> uh, and uh, so I get a bit of, bit of outbound marketing there. You know, get, got to get people taking the stuff back home with them. But sure. um, I, you know, we, we get everybody to put five or ten of their images that they're either really happy with and they want to pat on the back or they're unhappy with and they they want to get feedback from the group and we sit there in a room with the projecting the images i've got a really good quality projector that i picked up just for this and i i basically pump these things through lightroom up onto the projector and we have a, a really good chat about the you know the, the the images that people are creating while we're on the actually on the road yeah. um and and that I, I run a, I do a survey when I get back, and it was very popular. With we had we took fourteen people up there this year, and it was very popular. Everybody said that there was they got a lot out of the critique sessions. So it's it's kind of location photography where all of the time while we're out in the field, I'm work. What I do is generally as we get as we're approaching each of the locations or the night before over dinner, I'll explain to everybody exactly what's going to be happening. Um, I generally get everybody shooting in manual mode from the start because the the cranes and even the, the snow monkeys, it's a, the, the the background is very changeable. You can end up with a snow monkey with a very dark background one moment, a very light background the next moment. And the same with the cranes. They're standing on a white field of snow, but there's a big dark line of cr trees behind them in the mountains. And so if they jump up in the air to do that dancing that they do so well... I, you know, you, what you'll find is, is that if you're, if you're in aperture priority mode, then you'll have, an, say if you do a bit of exposure compensation, add a couple of stops for a while, you've got a white crane on a white background, and then that guy jumps up in the air, or you get, you get three or so fly in over a blue sky, or, you know, you've got the, the, the dark background or a blue background, then the moment that happens, your aperture priority and your um, compensation just goes out of the window. You're going to have a totally blown out crane against a nicely exposed black background. Yeah. So the first thing I do is get people shooting in manual mode. And, and it's, it's a leap of faith for some people, but invariably by the end of the... We, I always pass a digital recorder around on the, the last day of the tour. And almost every year people are saying... Well, every year a, a number of the people from the group are saying, I'm now a manual shooter, and, and they, they like it. They feel as though they've come away with an extra skill that they wouldn't have had without these opportunities. That's and some people, yeah. some people do fight it. They'll, they'll say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the exposure compensation. But at the end of the first day, when you're looking at your images and you see how badly exposed the cranes can be, it's like, you know, are you, are you really going to stick with this? And it's, okay, I understand what you're saying now. Let's, let's try it. And from the next day, you know, like I say, I'll walk amongst the group, I'll ask them, I'll, generally, I'm, I'm a bit of a stickler for exposure. I don't believe that there's any correct, correct exposure, but there's certain, and certainly an ideal exposure. Yeah. Um, there's and, a range, right? Right, right. Yeah. And, well, I mean, the thing is, I like to use the word ideal because ideal has, um, it's, it's subjective. You know, what I think is ideal is, can be totally different from what you or the next guy thinks is ideal. So, you know, correct is a little bit more stiff, and I don't like that. Um, so, but, you know, if I think that something needs to be high key, I mean, some of my crane shots that I do, I do what I call studies. And basically, I'm getting very close with a 600 millimeter. And 
I, I'll almost blow out the, the image. I, it's very, very close. And, and if you've got white on white, then the histogram is like, all, it's all scrunched up on one side. <laughs> but but it, it, the, the results are amazing. So, you know, if you, if you want to go high key, then obviously that is your ideal exposure for that subject. Yeah. Or low key, you'll want to go down the other way. But generally, the, what, I, what I try to do is just to, to show people how to expose a white bird with a black tail so that the whites are white and the tail has detail. You know, you've got to be able to see the texture in the feathers in the black t- in the black tail. Actually, I say tail. It's it's actually the the back edge of their wings. But when they collapse their wings down, it looks like a tail. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the, I I just I make sure that I walk amongst the group. I'll call out my settings all of the time. If the light changes, I'll say, okay, I'm now at say f five six for a four hundredth of a second ISO oh, tool. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. And and basically, we'll we'll just you know we'll we'll. Try to make sure that people get as good an experience it, culturally. And, you know, they're, they're eating Japanese food. Most, most people come here and really enjoy the food. We're having a cultural experience. We're having a photographic experience. We're seeing things that most people never can, can just don't have an opportunity to see in their own countries. And we're also having a, an educational experience. People yeah. go away with... They come away with photographs and friends, right? Exactly. Yeah, oh, the friends. I mean, I'm still in touch with people from the first tour that we did four years ago. And we we end up with a lot of camaraderie. One guy, um, Graham Morgan, his name is, an amazing photographer in in Australia. He's been three of the four times. And the, the one time that he didn't come, three years ago, I think, two years ago, he didn't come. And he was like, as soon as we got off the plane on the way back, it was, I'm, I'm with you again next year. Right? It was horrible knowing that you guys were up there and I wasn't. <laughs> so, so we get a bit of camaraderie and all of that comes in as well. So, so how does, um, you know, when, when, you, when you look at these workshops and I'm thinking, wow, these are chock full of time and effort and, you know, experiences and I can almost feel the cold in Hokkaido, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. What, uh, what, what are we looking at? I mean, what's the range of, I mean, are you playing, are you paying for plane tickets for people to fly out there or is it, okay, get yourself to Tokyo the best way you know how, and then it costs X amount of dollars. It's gen- generally the latter. What we'll do is I, I don't, because I have no idea of knowing where people are coming from. Um, I generally, we, the tour starts at 7.30 a.m. on a morning in February. And it finishes when we get off the plane uh, 12 days later back in Tokyo. Um, and so I, I charge for that. But once you're on the tour, you don't need money unless you're going to have beers in the evening. So everything that is, it, once you've paid for to be on the tour, it's all inclusive unless, I mean, there, there are a couple of places that we go where they have a, um, like a, a souvenir shop and things like that. People might want to get a, a key holder or something, you know, yeah. a reminder. So those sort of things are obviously not included. But apart from beers in the evening or, or anything additional that you want to buy yourself, it's totally all in once you're on the tour until the moment we finish and say goodbye. Um, and, then, and then people are basically responsible for getting themselves home again. Oh, there's the home part. See, there's the catch. You got to get home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Martin, what, I'm, what, go, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm actually, I'm, I am continuing to work on, now that I'm, I'm out of the day job, before, this used to use up all of my paid leave. <laughs> I used to use all of my paid leave each year doing these tours, but now I, I don't have to worry about that. I'm actually working with a number of people in various locations to work on new tours around the world. So I will be getting a chance to go out and meet my listeners and, and hopefully make some new friends as well. 
Yeah. Uh, we're, have you connected with to... Chris? Have you connected with Chris Marquardt? Uh, yeah, we, Chris and I are talking about doing a tour here in Tokyo um, next year, and we—he's a little bit busy at the moment. We we touched base on this about two, three weeks ago, and he said he needs a couple of weeks before we can really work the details. But we're talking about um, the last thing that I sent him was probably do a, a few days here in Tokyo, where we can probably have weekend participants come along and and just sort of break it up for just for people that are in tokyo that want to meet chris um and then we'll you know we'll do street photography chris is much more of a street photographer than i am so we'll do a bit of street photography get some some sort of educational aspect in there as well maybe even hire somewhere and do a do, do some seminar type stuff and then we'll jump on a bus and go over to mount fuji and and do some pho- photography around mount fuji get the landscape aspect in there as well and there's also some really nice little towns around there yeah. and then jump on the bullet train and go down to kyoto um and it, uh, have you been to kyoto uh, yes i have yeah it, i mean it, i i'm one of these that believes that it should be illegal to visit japan without and leave <laughs> without going to kyoto yeah. And and it's just it's one of the cultural. It used to be the capital. It's one of the cultural um, centers of Japan. It's probably the cultural center of Japan. And so, yeah. great street photography, exactly. So we want to take people down there as well. And it's probably going to be a reasonably long tour again. Um, but I am talking with Chris about that. Um, but the the tours that the other things that I'm working on, we're, we're going to be going to Switzerland uh, in June, July next year. We've got we've got a couple of weeks in Provence in France. I'm working with a guy down in New Zealand, deep south New Zealand, on a wildlife and landscape tour down there. And all of these are going to be a, a, like linked to my workshops page, but hopefully within the next couple of weeks. That's great. That's great. So you got a lot of stuff coming up. Yeah, so. yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's going to be a big, a big 2012 for you. I can, I can predict. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Well, Martin, thank you for taking the time to come on. What time is it there? It's got to be morning time, right? Oh, yeah, it's just coming up to 10 a.m. It's perfect for me. So you have your cup of coffee there, you got your podcast mic in front of you, and you're good to go, right? I'm good to go, yeah. (laughs) Well, would you, you know what, I'm going to put you on the spot since I'm still recording. Would you be interested in coming on This Week in Photography as a co-host? I think it'd be great for you to have have you in the, the roundtable atmosphere with the rest of us nuts. Just just open your door, Frederick. I'm on your doorstep. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm going to go look outside right now to make sure you're not out there. (laughs) That's great. Well, cool, Martin. Thank you. Thank you again for for taking the time to uh, chat with me this morning slash evening. Yeah, not uh, at all. And I guess for where would you like people to go to find out more about you and check out the workshops and your work and all that stuff? Uh, everything's linked to kind of like a portal page at martinbaileyphotography.com. You can go straight to my workshops at mbpworkshops.com. Uh, and I'm on Twitter. If you look me up on Twitter, Martin Bailey with no space. Um, and also Google Plus. I'm really loving Google Plus. So, I know. I'm getting yeah. more and more into it. I'm afraid of it because I know it's a, I'm, <laughs> it's I'm a on the of- event horizon of the black hole right now. And <laughs> I can still escape the gravity. <laughs> yeah. So if you're on Google Plus, I've created a short link, mbp.ac uh, slash gp for Google Plus. So if you jump over there, you can find you can hook up with me on Google as well. Excellent. Martin, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Frederick. It's been a, a, great, uh, a great chat, and I've really enjoyed it. You're welcome. Okay, that was Martin Bailey. You can find out more about Martin and connect with him by visiting martinbaileyphotography.com. 
All right, a quick nod to another one of our sponsors. This Week in Photo is brought to you by Squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. If you are a newbie and you need a easy-to-use UI for creating and managing your, your online presence, go to Squarespace. They're optimized for both beginners and CSS experts. Hundreds of design templates to choose from that you can use as starting points to tweak and configure them to fit your own individual needs. There's access from iPhone and iPad through apps, so you can download an app and manage your web presence while you're on the road. The cool thing is they've got online resources and a support team to give you personal help, a human help, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And uh, the the service includes, once you subscribe, you get access to everything they have, and that includes their blog module, um, import and export support for other services. Like if you decide that, okay, this is not for me, I want to export my my web presence and go to WordPress or Blogger or Movable Type or TypePad, whatever, you can do that. So it's not like they lock you into their service. You can integrate it with Flickr, Twitter, Google Maps, on and on and on and on. So if you'd like to give them a try, you just head over to squarespace.com. You can sign up for a free account. You don't need a credit card. Just try it out. Start building your website. Then if you decide to purchase that website, just use the offer code TWIP9. That's TWIP9, and you'll get 10% off for six months. That's squarespace.com with the offer code TWIP9. All right, guys. Um, it is time for some listener Q&A. This is a segment when our guests answer questions that have come in from our audience via our website, our forums, any of our online presences, including Facebook, Twitter, Google+, etc. There's basically on Twitter, use the hashtag TWIPQuestions. It's pound twip questions to submit your questions for future shows. Question number one, I'm going to throw to Tristan um, because it is from uh, someone who's going to your landmass, I guess. So <laughs> you want to go ahead and take this one and read it? Sure. Um, Brian was asking, uh, you know, that he, he says he's going to Uganda and he wants to take some family portraits and he wants to be able to print them out and give it to each family. Um, he wanted to get an idea of basic setup and workflow for, for doing this. Um, I'm gathering from, from his question that, that the workflow more of focus to him is in terms of the printing side and giving the prints to, to each family member. Um, and if that's the case, um, there isn't a, an easy answer necessarily to the best way to do it. I mean, I, I, I haven't been to Uganda. I've been to Kenya. I've been to Tanzania. There are a couple of labs in some of the bigger cities and that, that you could use for, for printing, um, particularly around some of the bigger touristy hotels and that. Um, but in terms of being able to do it yourself, I would look at something like um, perhaps using a Canon selfie printer um, they, you know, a, a die sub or thermal die sub printer, which uh, means that you get a fixed um, type of uh, cost solution. It's not you're not needing to worry about inks and how many prints are you going to get out of each cartridge and and things like that. You would be able to get, um, you know, you buy a pack which gives you exactly 108 prints out of it or 90 prints out of it, depending on the pack that you buy. Um, and you know, so it's a fixed cost, easy solution, but it only prints like four by six type prints. Um, and the other thing that you could possibly look at as well would be uh, the zinc printers. Um, I know 
uh, David Duchemin, if I remember correctly, um, used to use those when, when he goes to Africa and he wants to um, share with people, you know, prints that he's, or portraits he's taken with them. Uh, Zinc stands for Zero Ink Technology. And I know Polaroid have teamed up with them and make one or two products that use the same technology as well. And if you just really want to be able to give somebody a card print of their picture, um, that might be an, an easy way to do it. Um, but outside of that, uh, you know, the, the, all the other solutions are going to be rather large and bulky. So, and more cost effective, perhaps, uh, still to do it through through a lab over there. But as I say, I can't I can't talk on Uganda's pricing or, or availability of labs, depending on where you are. There's normally a good lab near the, the major hotels. So, yeah. can so. I just uh, add something, Tristan, sure. to that? Mm. Uh, just to broaden it out a little bit, because uh, like you, I'm not sure exactly what's available in Uganda. But I know that Nikon cameras, and I'm sure others as well, um, offer in the playback menu something called print set. So if you're a raw shooter and you know that you're going to want to make some prints quickly, you can shoot raw and JPEG because it only works with JPEG. And how mm. it works is in the, in the playback menu with Nikon cameras, you can uh, target and you can go through all the images. You can mark the ones that you want for printing. And it's a, it's a digital universal uh, kind of uh, icon. Once you've marked, you know, 12 images out of your whatever that you've shot, you can bring it to any of these, uh, you know, drugstores in North America that have these machines that allow you to put your SD card or your CF card. And, and that machine will automatically recognize what you've tagged in your camera. Oh, and cool. in like minutes later, you've got all your prints, you can run back to grandma's house, drop off those photos, and you still have all your RAWs. You can always delete the JPEGs later. But it's a little-known feature that uh, in certain circumstances can be you know, very useful, and, and that's one of them when you, you want to sort of drop off some prints and you're, you're 200 miles from home. It's a quick way to do it. Yeah. Cool. Great. All right, let's move on to question number two. Brent is wondering if anyone on the panel has had any experience with Rad Labs from Totally Rad Actions. Anyone? Bueller? <laughs> nope. <laughs> I mean, I took a look. You know, I just took a look at the web page real quick, and it seems like it's it's a lot of different uh, sort of nice looking presets for Photoshop. You know, some way to go in and uh, very quickly bring in a photo and apply some presets to it. There's so many of these out here that. It's really hard to see one's better than the other, or yeah, yeah. You know, it's the kind of thing where I would take a look at uh, a variety of these and and see what you know, see what sort of fits your own kind of aesthetic style and everything. But um, yeah, it looks like there's some some pretty stuff in there. They look, uh, it looks like it's well done. But I have no experience with it. Yeah, I'm looking at their their store page right now, and I guess the important thing is how much does this thing cost? It's it's 149 bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, for their Rad Lab, and that's 78 Stylets, they call them. Um, yep. Instant previews and endless possibilities is their tagline. But they've got Lightroom presets for 100 bucks. This is like an ad for, for these guys. Um, they've got a bunch <laughs> but, of stuff. So, yeah, just yeah, go, it's go it's check a, them out. It's a chunk of change, and, you know, at some level, I mean, for me personally, being very familiar with kind of what it takes to get a certain look, uh, I would probably just sort of set out to do my own look, and you know yeah. they may and take something like that as inspiration. Yeah. But if you know you're in the mode where you don't really want to figure out all the nooks and crannies of Photoshop, and you know you see something that you really like, and particularly if you can justify it with a, a couple of paying gigs where you just know, all right, this is going to give me a look I want, and I can 
justified, then these sort of things do make sense uh, in certain situations, definitely. Yeah, I mean, and I would I would also encourage people if you're in the market for plugins, you know, Dreamweaver extensions, InDesign, Flash extensions, Lightroom presets and stuff head over to adobe's marketplace in exchange so you have all this stuff over there for free you can mm. i mean you can download hundreds of extensions and presets and everything for all these programs yeah that's a good point there's a lot of free stuff out yeah there. yeah and just go to just just google adobe exchange and the first hit you see click on it and you'll see all this stuff and you'll be like you'll spend days there looking at all the stuff they put together adobe's guilty of building this thing and not marketing it so, so just go go in there and tell a friend that you know it, it, there's black and white presets. There's basically you know everything you probably could possibly want in there for free. So go check it out. But also check out Rad Labs because they have stuff too. All right, uh, question number three. Um, let's see, Steve. I wanted to throw this one to you um, because you're you're the one who takes your gear to all corners of the earth, and, and uh, you have to make sure everything's in serviceable order when you go to the next job. So, you want to go ahead and read this one? Sure. Um, uh, Pilger posted in the forums and is wondering how often they should send their camera in for servicing or to be recalibrated. Um, well, the recalibration thing kind of bothers me. I don't think uh, you know that's necessary. Um, I'm not even sure exactly what recalibrated means. But generally, for servicing, I think that uh, it depends on your use. I mean, chances are, if you're not um, using your camera every day or every week and putting through uh, quite a, a few thousand frames a month, or actuations as we now call it, um, you know, if, if, if everything's looking good and your sensor is clean, um, you probably don't need to do very much. But, you know, as a best practice, uh, I like to bring my stuff in once a year. And, mm. you know, I find myself in places where, uh, you know, being a Nikon guy, Nikon is there as a, as a um, they, they show up at a lot of events where professionals are, where they'll, you know, sort of clean and check your stuff. Oh, but yeah. if, if, if I was not at one of those events, though, I would, I would probably do it every year because I'm using my stuff quite a bit. Yeah. Um, so if like you, if you go problem, to Photo Plus Expo in New York or something, you'd just take your gear over there and they'll, uh, they'll do some rudimentary servicing of it? Exactly. And, and uh, you know, that's a great way to do it because there's no cost involved often in those situations. If there's an event happening where you know that your manufacturer is going to be supporting it, um, sometimes they do clean and checks for free there. A lot of journalistic events, they're, 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 they're supporting it. Um, so, again, if, it, if, it's, if it's not broken, there's probably not much you need. Um, I don't really think uh, digital cameras necessarily need any kind of recalibration. Mm. Uh, in the old days, maybe, um, with the meters, et cetera, and the moving parts, but it's not really an issue these days. If, if you've got a problem, you've got a problem, and then you've got to sort of bring it in. Um, as, far as, as far as cleaning your sensor, you know, that's, that's another deal. Yeah. Uh, How often know, do you clean your sensor or have, have them professionally clean? You know, as, as little as possible. I mean, honestly, you don't want to get in there if, if not necessary. One thing I will say is that Often uh, dust gets in not when you're changing lenses um, in in a sandstorm, but really how dust gets into the onto the anti-alias filter. It's not the actual sensor itself, but the filter that covers it where the dust shows up is um, if your back element has dust. So make sure that your <laughs> rear caps are clean and your back element is is clean as well. And also turn Very the camera advice. off. Yeah, turn the camera off when you're changing lenses. This hasn't been, I've been sort of researching this a bit. 
there is talk that when your camera is on, if you change the lens, the, the sensor is a little bit charged and may attract dust. Hmm. But it's always a best practice to, to turn the camera off. And, and if your camera is a built-in uh, sensor cleaner, I set it so that it, um, cl- you know, it activates at startup, at startup and, and shutdown, which means that if I change the lens, I turn the camera off, the sensor cleaner works, and then I change the lens, put it back on, turn the camera on, sensor cleaner does its thing. Because those sensor cleaners you know, work to a limited degree, but they're going to work best if dust is just you know, hit the filter, and that's the time to get it off. Excellent. Excellent tip. What are you What are you shooting with these days, Steve? Uh, well, I'm a you know Nikon. I got my D3s and uh, D700, and nice. Uh, nice. I got That's a bunch of. That's all you need. Exactly. Exactly. All but right. I am going to join that camera of the month club that you're setting up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, man. You know, there's something there. I know there's something there. All right, uh, one one more sponsor. I'm going to give a quick nod to Audible.com. This podcast is also brought to you by the folks over at Audible.com. They're the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times best or New York Times bestsellers. For TWIP listeners, Audible is throwing out a uh, an offer for a free ebook. They want to give you a chance to try out their service. One ebook to consider that I'm listening to right now, I don't know if you guys have listened to this, but it's called The Art of War. It's it's an old book and it's a good book. It's by uh, Sun Tzu. And basically, you know, it goes into what the art of war is, but a lot of this stuff applies to um, things that we do in our everyday life. Um, and in my case, marketing, cause I'm a big marketing nut and an internet marketing nut. And, uh, you know, just how do you position yourself? How do you position yourself vis-a-vis your competitors and all that stuff? So it war in that case is war in marketing, in a, in a marketing sense, but it's a good book to get your brain around and it's read really well. So check it out. Check out that book. It's called The Art of War by Sun Tzu. Most of you probably know about it already, but you may not have known that it's available in spoken word. So check that out. If you'd like to get a free audiobook of your choice, if you're new to Audible, you can check out The Art of War or any other book that you'd like to get your ears around at audiblepodcast.com forward slash twip. That's audiblepodcast.com forward slash T-W-I-P. All right, we're coming to the end of the show. This is the point in the show where uh, each guest gives their pick of the week. And remember, a pick can be software, hardware, gear, workshop, whatever, as long as it's photography-related. Ron Brinkman, I'm going to throw it to you first. What is your pick of the week? Uh, You know, usually I'll do picks of fun little things that I've tried out and uh, can recommend. Uh, In this case, I'm going to pick something that I want somebody else to try out and tell me if it's any good. Crowdsourcing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you know, I, there's been this sort of shift in lighting technology where these light panels, these LED light panels, are starting to become available. And there's these big square arrays that range in size from, you know, a few inches across to, in some cases, several feet across. But the cost of these is coming down, down, down. And it used to be, it would be hundreds and hundreds of dollars to buy even the smallest version of these. But they're really getting down to a price point that's kind of interesting. Um, and so just looking on Amazon the other day, you can get a 160 LED array 
for about fifty bucks. What? Sits inside of the uh, yeah, sits inside of the hot shoe on your camera. So basically, it's going to be a replacement for a flash in a lot of ways. Damn it! But and it has that Prime logo experience. there too, Ron. <laughs> yeah, you can get it tomorrow if you have Prime. <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, for fifty bucks. You know, there, I mean, there's there's all kinds of thinking about. All right, am I going to be a, a flash photographer? Or am I going to be you know a uh, a constant light sort of photographer? I mean, yeah. it's much more intuitive working with constant light source. And for something like this, it's small enough too that you can sort of handhold it off to the side or you know put it on another tripod or something yeah. and get a real good sense of what it's going to be without having to actually take the photo and deal with you know off uh, you know flash synchronization and you know especially cost wise that can get pretty expensive whenever you want to have a couple of off-camera off flashes. This so is I really, really think this, cool. Yeah, I really think this is where this is going for a lot of things. It's not going to be as you know, super high-powered as a flash is, but if you're just doing kind of close-up portrait photography and you need a couple of light sources, you know, for 100 bucks you get a couple of these. You put a set up a key and a fill. They're dimmable, so you can, you know, kind of be- between the positioning and the distance from the subject and the the dimmer, they come with uh, a couple of little filters to give you a warmer look on it. Um, it looks like a diffusion filter. So, you know, for 50 bucks, it's pretty interesting. I'm going uh, to about- get two of these. I'm going to try it. Good. I'm try it. I'll, be your, I'll be your guinea pig. My mission is complete here to get somebody else. To <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing some your, – your, your timing is impeccable because I'm building a little home mini studio to do some um, video talking headshots for yep. the Mediabyte site that I'm about yep. to launch. And I need something other than these gigantic softboxes that I have. This might do the trick. I don't know. Yeah, you know, it's it seems pretty interesting, and at that price point, it's pretty cool. And you know, they do they do have much larger ones. You know, it's on Amazon at least the ones I've seen go up to about three four hundred dollars for much much larger ones. But still, again, these things, you know, these these light panels of LEDs previously a few years ago, you'd be looking at a few thousand dollars still. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's pretty cool. Anyway, wow, that's for fifty bucks. Fif- well, uh, I wonder how they got to fifty-one dollars and one cents. That's the price. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. That extra one penny. Uh, yeah. So check it out, and you know, I, I really, I mean, I personally think these prices are going to continue to drop quite a bit. And and lighting is, we haven't seen the revolution in lighting the way we've seen a revolution in, in digital photography technology per se. But I think we're really going to start to see a lot more of that. Very cool. All right. Well, we'll link over to that in the show notes for folks that want to check that out. Uh, Tristan Hall, what is your pick of the week? There's too many to choose from. I've had so much stuff. So much stuff. Pick as many as you like. Go weeks. ahead. <laughs> um, but uh, if if I may give a shout out to two um, the, quickly, the first one is Canon's uh, recently launched Speedlight 320 EX. Um, it's a great little uh, flash unit that they've got. It's um, manual zoom head on it, um, but it's got the full wireless TTL uh, technology that Canon have to offer in the in the flash. Um, it's got a built-in video light as well, which is quite a, a cool um, little addition to it. And uh, on top of that, it's got a built-in shutter button. So you can kind of trigger your camera remotely via infrared um, and it gives you a, a few seconds delay and then for you to you know, reposition the flash on your subject and, and then the camera fires and triggers the flash via wireless signal. So it's, it's kind of like a, a MacGyver, uh, you know, Swiss Army knife kind of um, type flash gun that does, does multiple things. Yeah. The other thing I just want to – sorry, you were going to say? No, no, go ahead. 
Okay, the other thing I want to just give a shout out on was the SanDisk Extreme Pro cards, particularly the SD cards. I see they've just recently announced that they'll be increasing the speed to 90 megabytes uh, read write speed. They're currently sitting at, at 45 on those cards. But um, while we were testing the Alpha 77, that camera does 24 megapixels at 12 frames a second. Um, and it gives you a burst rate of up to 17 shots. And then you kind of have to hang for the buffer to write to the card. And if you, you know, there was a significant time difference between using the SanDisk Extreme Pro cards versus using some of our older, slower SD cards. So, mm-hmm. yep. you know, really makes a, a huge difference uh, on, on a camera like that to go for the Pro cards. Just pay that little bit extra and get the speed. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Wise choice and excellent picks. All right, Steve, Steve Simon, what is your pick of the week? Uh, okay, well, you know, I'm always scrambling to come up with a pick uh, while the other guys. <laughs> that's why. Talking. That's why I let you go last because no, you had to find that. one. <laughs> then it dawned on me. Uh, this is something that I think uh, photographers at times will feel the need for, and that's uh, for a projector. In the old days, you kids are too young to remember, but you know, you used to project your slides and have kind of a family slideshow. Mm-hmm. But now, of course, digitally, we can hook up our projector, or even without a projector, put a little. Uh, flash drive into the back of the projector and, you know, do a slideshow. And because I needed one of these for some workshops that I was doing, I found, I was looking for the smallest one, the smallest, brightest one I can find. And it was delivered in the LG HX350T, not, you know, the easiest number to roll off your tongue, but it's a, it's an LED projector. It even has a built-in TV tuner in it, so you can actually project television, I guess. I, I haven't used that. Um, but the beauty of it is it's it's quite tiny. It's really tiny. It's very light. Um, the, the, the sort of electrical block is as big as the uh, machine itself. But for travel, when I'm traveling, I will take that as a backup projector. As a matter of fact, I bought it as a backup projector, but end up, ended up using it as kind of my main projector because it's bright enough. Um, in, so you use it for most, presentations and all that yeah, stuff? Yeah, for presentations. Uh, you know, even when the lights are on a little bit, it will work. Works better, uh, you know. It's not like um, you know a twenty five hundred lumen, you know, big machine, but almost because the LED um, rating is different from the traditional um, uh, lights. It doesn't get hot. the The light lasts for like twenty thousand hours, which is really twenty years, and uh, or thirty thousand hours actually. And uh, you know, it's just it's just very convenient, um, and and it's very light. It's very small. Very bright. And I ended up using it as sort of my main thing. Um, and I'll bring it along if I'm doing a presentation where they've got a projector, I'll have it as a backup. That's and uh, for a photographer, I think it gives you some options. Uh, the, the photos look great, and that's the bottom line. Right? Yeah, so that's what I was going to ask because for photography, you know, having run dozens of meetups where people come in and project, the, the main thing or the, the Really, the most important thing when photographers are showing their work is the brightness and the color accuracy of the projector. So you you think this one is okay? Yeah. Oh, I think it's it's more than okay. It's it's very very good. Again, you know, it's not going to replace the five thousand uh, dollar machine that you know you you see at the university or at uh, yeah yeah you know. But it, but for 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 sort of small classroom size, you know, twenty thirty people or even a little bit lo- larger than that, as long as you can. Uh, blind the the windows um, it works really well it's mm-hmm. quiet and uh, it's tiny so for travel it's great so that that's why i recommended the the photos look good and uh, it's just easy to pack in your case and you can set it up in your hotel room and watch netflix if you need to right absolutely you can do that <laughs> all 
Awesome. All right. And my pick of the week is kind of a piggyback on Tristan's. Um, but I just bought this new thing that I have in my hand right now. It's called a, it's a SanDisk Micromate SDHC card reader. And it's a little tiny USB to, um, card reader that you stick your SD card into the back of and then plug it into your computer. It cost me around 20 bucks from Amazon and I used Amazon Prime and it showed up at you know, about a day later. <laughs> and yes, I, I, my name is Frederick and I have a problem. <laughs> yeah, I just bought that uh, light, Ron, so I'll let you know in a couple of days. Oh, good. Love it. <laughs> that's all. You did buy it? Oh, that's awesome. I'm buying it too. Just um, one... Go ahead, Steve. No, I just said just one click. Amazon Prime. It's very dangerous. Yeah. I love Amazon Prime. Yeah, it's, it's a problem. Yeah, that should be, that should be their tagline Amazon Prime. It's a problem. <laughs> I bought a box of cereal with Amazon Prime the other day. You know what? This is a complete, complete non sequitur. But I, you know, I, I have this little Cincio coffee, you know, uh, one cup at a time coffee maker thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. you got to buy these pods to put into. And, you know, increasingly the pods are becoming hard to buy, find because I guess these guys aren't really selling as many as they wanted to. So you know, it used to be I could just go to the grocery store and buy them and be all good. Go- grocery store stopped carrying them. Target had them, so I was going to Target, getting them. Boom, you know I was happy. Target stopped carrying them. Guess who still has them? <laughs> Amazon on <laughs> Prime. <laughs> so, like all my non like perishable foods and and stuff is now coming from Amazon. Toilet paper, everything. You know. Yep. yep. <laughs> Okay. And it's cheaper, Sorry. and it saves the environment. <laughs> I don't have to go drive and park, and it just shows up on my doorstep. You know, come on. Yep, you can't beat it. I'm just saying. Anyway, my pick, <laughs> my pick is the SanDisk MicroMate SDHC card reader. It's under twenty bucks. It's on Amazon. I bought it to go in my bag next to my MacBook Air so that I could plug SD cards into it and uh, suck my images into Lightroom and not take up any space. And it weighs next to nothing. It works, and it's great, and it's cheap. So, yeah, Just on that uh, SanDisk announcement, I know Tristan talked about the, uh, the SD cards. And, of course, you know, SanDisk um, just came out with the, the new. And now the speed of the SD cards has kind of matched mm-hmm. where CF cards are. And my understanding was um, that SD was sort of the card of the future and CF was going away. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure exactly if that's going to be the case, but I think... The answer will be when the next iteration of professional cameras are introduced by Nikon and Canon, and uh, we'll see what they what they uh, use because there's a chance that they might. I I hope the camp, compact flash stays. I like the bigger card, but there is a possibility that. Um, what's the, what's it, your main attraction to the bigger card? Just so it's harder to lose, or, or yeah, something else? kind of. You know, it's a little bit bigger. It's not. You know, it's just easier to handle. I, I just find that um, you, you like know, the heft hand, of it. It feels. Like it feels heft, like your images yeah. are on something and not living on a postage stamp, right? Exactly. It feels that if I drop the SD card, you can knock them out of knock the pictures out of focus easier <laughs> than you can. I can testify that they both wash well in a pair of <laughs> Now that's the legend, Tristan. Are you telling me you've kept it in your jeans, you've washed it, you've dried it, and it works? SD card, compact flash card, uh, flash drive, no problems. Wow. So, wow. Don't don't try this at home, folks. Don't try it at home. But I've, I've I've cleaned up my images by putting them through the wash. Oh, great! A filter. There you go. All right, guys. With that, let's uh, let's close the show off. We're at the end of another brilliant episode of this week in photo. 
Ron Brinkman, where would you like folks to go to find out more about you? Oh, best thing's probably still just Twitter. Ron Brinkman, R-O-N-B-R-I-N-K-M-A-N-N. Awesome. Cool. And Tristan, where are you at? Photocomment.net. Uh, Photocomment uh, on Twitter. Photocomment Mag on Facebook. Um, Alpha Tutorials. The list goes on and on. So Awesome. All right. And we'll put all those links in the show notes so people can right. easily Thank click you. over to them. And Steve Simon, where can people go to find out more about you and, of course, the passionate photographer? Yeah. Well, people that have the Amazon Prime problem like Frederick and I um, <laughs> should go to Amazon, you know, type in the passionate photographer and then just press that button and they'll have my book in two days and nice. uh, then they can tell me what they think of it. Other than that, I think I'm going to st- activate that blog. I'm at stevesimonphoto.com. I'm, I'm in the process of updating my website. I know you can probably listen to a two-year-old episode of TWIP and hear exactly the same thing, but this time I mean it. So I'm going to have the passionatephotographer.com blog up and running probably in the next five years. <laughs> I mean, five weeks. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, Steve, we're gonna we're gonna be we're gonna be on an episode of intervention soon. I know. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> your your negative behavior has affected me in the following ways. <laughs> so, uh, Steve, you're also going to be on um, Leo's photo show, uh, Twit Photo. Twit photo, not to be confused with this week in photo, but twit photo next week, right? So yes, if folks want to see you live with your pompadour all moosed up, they can do you know when you're gonna be there? Uh I think it's Tuesday when they is it a live taping or is it uh they should play it back later? I'm uh, I think it's, I think it's both. I uh, you know, I don't think they're using tape anymore, but I oh. think <laughs> Oh sorry, yeah. They're Pretty sure it's uh, live. Flash powder and tape. I think. To, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna put the old reel to reels in for Steve. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but this minutes. this episode will probably be out Tuesday. So if you're listening to this, uh, you may have already missed Steve. If not, exactly. you can catch him on the on the archive, right? Absolutely. All right. Very cool. And if you want to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, you can just head over to thisweekinphoto.com. There you'll find links to all of our online presences. Also, please support the show on iTunes by leaving a comment. There's a bunch of comments up there right now. And they're like, I mean, some of them are negative, but they're 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 about Scott Bourne and you know people that were on the show a long time ago. We need new comments up there, folks. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, give us some feedback on iTunes and push those old comments down into the archives for us. So if you would please head over to iTunes and leave a comment on the show, I personally would really appreciate it. And I may even mention you on the show if it's not a negative comment. Oh, can I just add one more thing? Yeah. I'm, try- I'm trying to get fans on my Facebook fan page. I just set it up. It's the Passionate Photographer. Oh, Facebook. cool. Yeah, so I, I get the feeling that you're building a brand around the passionate photographer. I'm trying. I'm I trying. like that. I like that. It's I like that marketing in you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And speaking of iTunes, if you want to check out the podcast app, the TWIP podcast app, it's a handy way to keep up with the shows as soon as they're released. They show up right in there. Um, so go and check them out. You can get all the details. Just click over to uh, just head over to thisweekinphoto.com and you'll see uh, see a link over to them, over to the podcast app from there. And finally, if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can just find me at frederickvan.com. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
This Week in Photo is a PixelCore.tv production. Produced by Suzanne Llewellyn. With technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.